I love your pastor, and, and, and my wife and I love this couple, uh, Christian and Danielle. Uh, man, the past three years just been incredible to watch what God's been doing in the life of this church and in their life, and we are so proud of them. We're like proud, proud parents, you know, watching them. And uh, can, I, can I tell you something? I mean, it's just amazing. I come back every year. And so it's like the first time I come, you know, this church is about this big. And then I come back a year later and I go, oh, wow, look here. They, boy, wow, y- y'all sprung up. And now I come back and, whoa, y'all, you guys are really springing up here. And uh, that is so fun for us to watch. And can I tell you something? Don't miss two weeks from now. Don't miss that groundbreaking. Please don't miss it. Bring your friends, bring your family. Uh, I've had opportunity to, to sit with Christian and, and hear the, the, the vision that God's putting on his heart. I had the opportunity to stand with him on this, vi- on this stage and, and, and as he said just a minute ago and cast a vision for what was gonna happen in here. You know, visionaries see things. They see what God wants before anybody else sees it. And so God's putting things in his heart. And so you want to be there in two weeks because you want to stand on that property and hear the vision that he and the leadership uh, are are going to lay out there because you want to be able to say, I was there when. I was there when. Why is that important? Because when when you're standing somewhere and you're looking back over your shoulder and go, I was there when, you can also say, I saw God do this. And it's going to grow your faith. It's going to stretch your faith. You can't, sorry, I'm preaching a different sermon, but you, you, you can't, you can't, you can't grow your faith without a vision for what can be. You can't grow your faith for a vision for what can be for your life until, you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow unless you say, God, what's your vision for my life? You, you, your business, what's God's vision for, for your business? What's God's vision for your home? What's God's vision for your family? And you get a hold of that. And you begin to see, this is where God wants to take me. And then you look back and go, I was there when. I was there when it was just a plot of land with nothing on it. And now look what God's done. I was there when my kids were really, you know, not looking much like Jesus and not acting much like Jesus, but we stuck with them and we had a vision for our family and a vision for our kids and, and we had faith and we lived towards the vision. Guys, we, we gotta learn to live towards the vision. And so many times in our lives and in, in, in our churches, we live towards the past. We live towards the past. We look to the past. We live towards the past. Past is valuable. We wouldn't be where we, we are today without the past. But so many times we live towards the past. Well, it's not the way it used to be. It's not like the way it used to be. I like things better this way. And, and can I tell you something? When this church grows, it's going to change. And so if you don't have the vision, if you don't have the vision and feel the vision, you're going to be uncomfortable with when the vision begins to become a reality. So you've got to understand it, feel it, see it, so that as it becomes a reality, you're excited by it, you're inspired by it, not complaining about it. I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. All right, so uh, we got a sermon to talk about. <laughs> and it's about discipleship, about, about disciple making. And, and, and as Christians say, I just want to, I, I want to take disciple making and boil it down to something just real simple, okay? So everybody in this room, even a nine-year-old can say, I can do that. I can do that. I can be a disciple maker. 
Uh, now, uh, let, let me t- but first, before I get into all that, let me tell you what happened to me a couple weeks ago. So we're on vacation, right? I've been working hard. I've been working. I mean, it's been boom, 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 run, 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 run. So finally, we go on this vacation, and I'm ready to relax, you know? And so Cindy has had this dream of getting a beach house, and so she got us a beach house in Topsail Beach. We've never gotten a beach house. Got a beach house, Topsail Beach, and invited our, our kids, who are all grown, invite our kids to come and, and, and spend a week with us. It was fantastic. We, we got there on a Sunday. Sunday and Monday, we had a blast. Tuesday, the boys said, Dad, let's rent paddle boards. We've never paddle boarded. Let's rent paddle boards and let's, let's go paddle board in the ocean. And I said, hey, you guys can do that. That's fantastic. So I, 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 I rented a couple of paddle boards from the surf shop and we laid on the beach and Cindy and I were watching and the boys were out there paddle boarding and they were having a blast, but they, but they couldn't really paddle board because the waves were too rough, right? And so they were falling and all that. And, but so finally they gave up on paddle board and they said, let's just surf with these things. Now, if you've ever seen a paddleboard, you know they're like 12 feet tall, they're huge, and they're about this wide, and they weigh about 60 to 70 pounds, right? So I'm, I'm sitting on the beach, and I'm watching them, and, we, and my boys grew up in Myrtle Beach, and so they're out there, and they're surfing on these paddle boards, and they were having a blast, and they made it look so fun. And so they, Brandon gets tired, he comes in, he lays his board down, and, and when he lays the board down, I'm sitting there, I look at it, and I thought, I'm going to take my 53-year-old self and go out there, and I'm going to get on that board, and I'm going to do what they were doing because that looked like a lot of fun. I'm going to ride one of those waves. Now, I've never surfed before, but I'm going to get out there, and I'm going to do that. So I went over, didn't say a word to anybody. I picked up the board, and I carried it out, and I go waist deep in the water. And I'm about waist deep in the water, and I take the board, and, and, and I threw the board forward. Now one other day, yeah, oh, <laughs> somebody's going, I see this coming. Yeah, and so I did not. And, and so I threw the board forward, and when I threw the board forward, a wave caught it, and when the board was right here, literally flashed through my mind, I think I just did something stupid. <laughs> and it wasn't a split second later, it was like, wham, right smack in my face. It felt like a right jab from Evander Holyfield, you know, you know, right, like I have never been hit that hard in my life. I went, whoop, I went down, you know, rolled through the waves and all that. And then I, I was on my hands and knee, I was on my knees and I was doing this. I couldn't even talk. I mean, I was in so much pain. So my family sees it and they, they run out. What happened? What happened? What happened? I said, I think I just broke my nose. And, and so they were like, move your hand, move your hand. So I, I finally I moved my hand and they went, oh my gosh, there's blood everywhere, there's blood everywhere. And so they, they rushed me out, they put me in a car and they, they rushed me to the emergency room. And so we go to the emergency room, whole way there, I'm just holding my face. I, my, my two front teeth, I know they're just gone. They're, they're so loose, I know they're gone. I know my nose is broken. And so we, we, we go in there in the emergency room and they check me out and the doctor said, okay, X-rays and all that. Say so your, your nose is not broken, uh, and, and you're going to be fine. They say here's the deal: your nose very badly beat up. I mean, I was so bruised. Entire upper lip on the inside totally busted. I mean, it was bad. Two giant black eyes for I still got a little bit of two giant black eyes and whiplash. And so the rest of vacation uh, was a lot of fun. And uh, <laughs> at least I got to rest. I got to lay there like this and just, you know, get through the pain. It, it, was, it was horrible. Uh, let me tell you something, though, guys. Here's the deal. There are so many people out there in life who are getting smacked in the face. They're just getting smacked in the face because of the decisions they're making. 
And, and, and they're making a decision, and, and sometimes right after they make that decision, a split second later, they're going, oh, that was really stupid. And right in the face. I mean, they're just getting blasted. They're getting beat up from life. Whether the decision was intentional or unintentional, so many people in our world are going around and they're making decisions that are just causing life to beat them up and smack them in the face. And they're walking around wounded and hurt, and they're filled with anger, and they're filled with bitterness, and they're filled with resentment, and they've never learned how to, how to have peace. They've never learned how to have self-control and they're filled with anxiety and they're filled with insecurity and they're filled with jealousy and they're and, and and they're depressed all the time and it's all because decisions they're making day in and day out is just beating them up and they're living with the pain of broken relationships poor health bad habits addictions emotional pain and insecurities and they're just going through life and they're just getting hammered and here's what I love, here's why I love being here, and here's why I love Journey Church International, because it's a group of people who are so authentic about your faith. You have created an oasis of hope where people can discover life in Jesus. You're a group of people who said, I was the idiot who threw, you know, who made a decision, got slammed in the face. I've been there, done that, worn the t-shirt, and then I met Jesus. And he radically changed my life. And people in this community are looking at you and they see there's something different about you. And I'm totally convinced, totally convinced you keep on mission. And remember what your mission is. We exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. Get the first part of that. We, are, we exist to help people far from God. That's why this church exists. For people who are getting smacked in the face, for people who are hurting, we exist to help people far from God, what? Become passionate Christians. Man, that's easy to do, isn't it? Once you've been smacked in the face and you've discovered Jesus and you go, man, I'm passionate that I don't have to live that way anymore. That I found, I found somebody that gives me peace. I found somebody that gives me joy. I found somebody that teaches me how to help, have self-control. I've, teach some, I, I, I've met somebody, I've met Jesus who teaches me to love. I, I, I've met Jesus who teaches me to forgive. I teach Jesus who helped me, I, I've met Jesus who helped release me from resentment and bitterness. Man, the transformation God makes in our life and these transformation he's made in your life. You're not perfect people. You're not perfect people, but you're growing and you're learning to live like Jesus. And because you've crossed that line of faith and because you've become a follower of Jesus and because you're a disciple, he's saying, hey, 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 be a disciple maker. Now, let me, let, me, let me tell you something. My boys, when they were out there surfing, the reason they didn't get smacked in the face was because they grew up in Myrtle Beach. And, and I remember taking them to the beach all the time. And I would sit on the beach and they would go out in the water with all their surfer buddies. And I, and I can still see this picture. They're out, in the, they're out in the ocean, deep in the ocean. And there's five or six of them and they're just floating on the boards in a circle. What are they doing? They're talking about that last wave they just caught. They're talking about the fall they just took. They're giving each other tips about how to catch that wave and how to ride it a little bit longer. They're just talking about surfing together. And as they talk about surfing together in that little circle, they become better surfers. You see, we can't do life alone. We can't do life alone. We can't learn to live like Jesus on our own. 
That's why in, in Matthew 28, if you want to turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, here's what Jesus said before Jesus left the earth. He said something huge to us that sometimes we, we know this, we don't get it. We know this, we don't do it. But listen to what he said before he left. I mean, he, he's, he's just worked with these guys for three years, poured into them, discipled them, and he said, okay, now, 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 listen. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so what I'm getting ready to say to you has a lot of authority coming, coming, from, coming from God to you. Okay, and here's what he says. Here's what I want you to do, guys. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what I want you to do. Jesus is saying, Guys, I've walked with you for three years. I've taught you to live and walk like me. And now I want you to teach other people to live like me. That's what I want you to do. Here's Jesus' strategy. Here's Jesus' strategy. Disciples make disciples. We know that. But do we do it? We know it, but do we do it. It's so important. This plan is so important because as people learn to live like Jesus, they learn to love. They learn to make wise decisions. They learn to forgive. They learn to overcome temptation. They learn to discover joy and contentment. They learn to hear from God. And, and so that's why it's so important that disciples make disciples. And you're, I know some of you are sitting there right now and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, no way. I can't do that. I can't do that, Mac, because you see, you don't understand I've only been a Christian for one month. I've only been a Christian for one year. I've only been a Christian five years. And you know, I, I, I can't do that because, you know, I don't, I don't know the Bible very well. And, you know, I mean, we make all these excuses. Some people say, I, I can't be a disciple maker because I don't know all 66 books of the Bible. Some of you sitting there going, I didn't even know there was 66 books in the Bible. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I don't have the spirituality of Billy Graham. I haven't, I, haven't been, I haven't been a Christian long enough. And so you think, you know, for me to be a disciple maker, for me to obey that command that Jesus gives, I have to be a scholar. I have to be a theologian. I have to be a pastor. Wait a minute, time out. <laughs> what is disciple making? Let's just stop and think about it. What is disciple making? Let me give you a definition. Helping someone else learn to live like Jesus one step at a time. Disciple making is, it's, honestly, we've made it so difficult. We've made it so complex. We've made discipleship a, a, a course, a program, a college course, a curriculum. Those are great tools. But discipleship's relationship. And discipleship is helping someone else learn to live like Jesus one step at a time. What I want to do today is I just, I want to bring discipleship down to a simple level. I, I was reading First, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5 where Paul describes his relationship with the people of Thessalonica. And when Paul was on his second missionary journey, he stopped through the city of Thessalonica, about 200,000 people, and, and he preached there, and, and people were coming to Christ there and coming to faith. And uh, during his time there, it was a very short stay, because he abruptly had to leave, but, but in his short stay, he really just connected with these people. He loved these people. There was a deep emotional connection with them. And so in chapter 5, First, uh, first Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, if you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles, uh, he, here he says something that gives us insight into the spirit of disciple-making, okay? He says, guys, he's telling the Thessalonians, you are witnesses, 
and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God. (laughs) I love that. I love how simple Paul's making it. Because in this passage, we catch the spirit of discipleship. Paul's not saying he was a theologian. He's not saying he was a scholar or a pastor. He was just, he said, I was like a dad to you guys. I was like a parent to you guys. You see, you know, I, I dealt with you just like a dad deals with his kids. What is parenting? Parenting is helping your kids live like an adult one step at a time grow towards maturity and grow towards adulthood just one step at a time. So today what I want to do is I want to give you three steps that you can take to become a disciple maker. Three simple steps that you can take to to become a disciple maker. And when we get to the end of this message, I'm going to ask you one question. What's your next step? And I want you to think about it as we, as we go through this, okay? And so what I want to show you is how you, can, how you can have a spiritual impact on somebody else's journey, spiritual journey and spiritual health, regardless of where you're at in the journey. Step number one. Step number one is make a small investment in your own personal growth. Step one is to make a small personal invest, make a small investment in your own personal growth. In chapter, in verse 10, Paul says this, you're witnesses of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. In other words, Paul's saying this, hey guys, you saw my life. You saw me live in front of you. You saw my behavior. You saw the impact that God had on my life. When Paul first got to Thessalonica, the first thing he did was go into the synagogues and begin preaching and preaching the gospel there. And as he would preach the gospel, no doubt he would share his story, the dramatic conversion that he experienced in Acts chapter nine. And and so he would share that story of how Jesus changed his life. And then these people heard that story and they saw his life and they saw that transformation in his life. If we're going to help other people grow in their faith, if we're going to help our friends, our spouse, our kids, our coworkers, if we're going to help other people in our small group grow in their faith, we got to be growing our faith because growing people grow people. Growing people grow people. I remember when, when I, I first got into ministry, Cindy and I, I took uh, my first ministry position and, and Cindy and I were at this church in uh, Polly's Island. And I was not a good leader at all. And so I, I knew I wasn't, and I had to find a, a leadership conference. So I stumbled upon this conference by John Maxwell. Some of you have probably heard of him. And, and so I drove to Atlanta, Cindy and I drove to Atlanta, and I was 29 or something. I don't remember how it was. And, uh, and so uh, she went shopping for three days. I went to the conference for three days. <laughs> and, uh, and so the first day of the conference, I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to John Maxwell teach biblical leadership like I've never heard in my life. And I'm taking notes till my hand hurts. And at the end of the day, he says, now guys, and this was, I didn't take this as a sales pitch. I took it as a leader who genuinely wanted us to learn and grow. He said, guys, I've put together a personal growth kit for you to to grow you as a spiritual leader. It's 100 audio tapes, uh, one hour tapes of me teaching leadership, 12 of my favorite books on leadership and a 365 day journal on spiritual leadership. I promise you, if you get this thing and you begin to read it and you begin to listen to these tapes one day at a time and you just focus on growing daily, it will transform your life. 
So I start drooling, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to have this, got to have this. And he said, it was $500. I'm like, oh, I don't need it that bad, you know? And so uh, I went back to the hotel and I told Cindy about the day and told her about this kit. And she said, oh, did you get it? And I said, no, 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 I didn't get it because we don't have, you know, $500. And so uh, she said, well, you need to get it. And I went, my young wife, she was about 23 at the time. And I said, no, we don't, we don't have $500. Next day I went back, full day of teaching, same thing, makes a presentation. I go back to the hotel that night. She said, did you get it? And I said, no, no, I didn't get it. I we don't have $500. As bad as I want it, we don't have $500. My young wife looked at me. She said, Mac, when you go back tomorrow, I want you to buy that kit. Because how in the world do you ever expect to grow other people if you're not investing in your own growth? Go back, make the investment. $500 is nothing compared to what it's going to do in your life and the impact, the exponential impact it's going to have if you invest in yourself. Guys, so many people are not being disciple makers because we've stopped growing ourselves. We've crossed the line of faith. We're excited about Jesus. And then after a period of time, what happens? I, I don't know. You're bored with Jesus? Not hearing from him? But, but somewhere we just stop pursuing growth. And the principle I've learned over and over and over, growing people grow people. When you're growing, it overflows out of you. You can't keep it in you. Cindy and I, we go for walks every night and, and she's constantly telling me, oh, here's what God showed me and here's what God's doing. And, and, and I'm sharing the same thing with her. And, and we, that's how we grow in our relationship and how we influence each other's spiritual health. She, she was studying on the back porch for doing her um, quiet time on the back porch just this week. And, and I was at Starbucks and, uh, and she, and, and I get a text and I read the text and it was a group text to, to, to me and our, our three kids and our daughter-in-law. And Cindy said, I'm sitting on the back porch and this scripture passage just hit me and it brought me to tears. And, and guys, I just got to tell you what God did in my heart this morning. It was so significant and he just grew me. And I got to tell you, and I got to share some things with you from, and she did in this text and, 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 I sat and I read it and I got chills because of the growth I saw taking place inside of her and it impacted me. And then all of a sudden, bing, 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 bing. My phone started lighting up from my kids, responding back. She didn't say, hey, kids, let's get together and let me teach you a Bible lesson. Let me teach you a theological blah, blah. She said, here's what God did in my life today. And it grew me and it grew them. It's you got to grow yourself if we want to begin to grow others. Let me give you a second small step. Second small step is give a word of encouragement. Give a word of encouragement. Look at what Paul says. He said, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting. I love those two words because in the Greek, they both start with the word para, which means to come alongside of. And so he's saying, hey, you, you know that I dealt with you like a dad who comes alongside and gives you a word of encouragement, who comes alongside of you and speaks a word of comfort into you. I'm like a dad who's by your side. What I love about that word is the proximity. The, it, it indicates a closeness. If we're going to encourage and comfort somebody through a difficulty or encourage their strengths, the only way we're going to do it is if we're close enough to see those strengths, close enough to see their personality, close enough to see what God's doing in their life, close enough to, to feel their dreams and their passion, close enough to see the pain they're going through. And then we come alongside and speak a word of encouragement because 
It blows me away, and we don't have time to get into this, which we did, but if you study the word encouragement in the New Testament, oh my goodness, it's such a rich word, but I believe it's in Hebrews where he says, encourage each other daily. Encourage each other daily. They say, hey, this should be a habit in your life because you see, when I'm close to you and I'm watching you and God is speaking to me about what's going on in your life and who you are and I'm listening to your dreams and seeing your gifts, God's gonna use me to speak something into you so that you can see yourself the way Jesus sees you. Not so I can build you up and say, yeah, I am pretty good, huh? <laughs> no. Speaking words of encouragement is not to give somebody a sense of pride. It's to speak what God sees into them to help them see, oh, here's what God's doing in my life and how I can be more like Jesus. Now, unfortunately, here's what we do. Unfortunately, we go around and we're constantly, instead of seeing strengths, we're looking for weaknesses. Instead of seeing what people are doing right, we're trying to catch what they're doing wrong. Instead of listening to their vision and their dreams and, and supporting and getting under it and encouraging it, we go, well, but what if? You better think about. And we throw cold water on it. But what if we were encouragers? Man, small thing makes huge, huge difference. But we, we have this habit. I think it's our sin nature in us that tends us to look for the bad rather than the good, the mistakes rather than the strengths. I was, I was speaking to a, a group of churches down in uh, Miami several years ago, and uh, Cindy and I got there the night before, and uh, this uh, 67-year-old associate pastor from the church and his wife took Cindy and I out to dinner, and, and they took us to a Cuban restaurant for food. I told the leaders this story uh, yesterday. Uh, they took us for uh, Cuban coffee, and then they took us to this part of Miami that sort of locals only know about, and it was gorgeous, and we sat and talked to them for hours, probably four or five hours had a blast with them. Well, the next day, uh, I'm up and I'm teaching all these leaders, room about this full, and I look out and I see this associate pastor, Dave, and, and for some reason, just, I don't know why, but in that moment, I said, hey, everybody, let me tell you, this guy, Dave, took Cindy and I out to dinner last night. I want to tell you all something about Dave. And for the next two minutes, just talked about the strengths I saw him, the passion I saw, the gifts, what I felt like God was going to do in his life. And just, you know, God just gave me a word for him in that moment. And, and I don't know why in that moment, because it was very awkward and very embarrassing for him. His face turned red. And, but it just spoke words of life and encouragement into him, what I saw in him the, that, that night before. Now, when I finished the, my talk at the end of the day, the senior pastor came up. Senior pastor of, of, of Dave's church is about 65 and he walked up and he went, guys, I have to tell you that I was very uncomfortable when Mac did that to Dave while ago. Let me tell you why I was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable because I'm 65 years old and nobody has ever looked at me and said anything like that to me. And I'm even more uncomfortable because I've worked with Dave for 17 years and everything Max said was true. And not once have I ever told Dave that. Not once have I ever spoken to him to that, that into him. Words bring life. And Paul said, I was like a father that came alongside and poured words of encouragement and comfort into you. 
catching you doing things right, helping you see your strengths, helping you discover your passion. And guys, think of the difference this would make. Just if you're home alone, you decide, I'm going to be a disciple maker in the home. And I'm going to catch my kids doing things right. I'm going to begin to identify their strengths and their passion. And I'm going to be their biggest champion. And I'm going to lift them up. And I'm going to stop catching them doing things wrong. Here's why we catch them doing things wrong. Because they're out and they're doing things wrong. Even though they're these little sinners. (laughs) They're out there and they're doing things wrong. And we get angry because it's a reflection of us. We're not angry that they're doing something wrong. We get angry because it's the reflection on us. And so we punish out of a self-motivation, out of our own ego, rather than punishing or encouraging and comforting and, 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 and disciplining to help them become more like Jesus. Big difference. When your kids are doing something wrong and they're making a mistake and they're disobeying, we got to get behind them and say, how can I discipline them in such a way that we encourage them to become more like Jesus, not push them down and beat them down and fill them with guilt and shame and punish them out of my own ego. Man, that, when we're doing that, we're just, we're building a lie into their soul. And the lie is, you're not worthy. You're not worthy to be loved. You're a, you, you mess up. You, you, you're, you're just filled with mistakes. And disciple-making people trip and fall down all the time. Our job is not to pop them on the hand. Our job is to take them by the hand and say, let me walk with you through this so that when you come out the other side, you're living like Jesus. And I understand that learning to live like Jesus is one step at a time. Let me show you one more. Third small step is a small, give them a small challenge to take one step forward. Give them a small challenge to take one step forward. Look what Paul says in, in verse 12. He says, you know, I, I, was, I was like a father to you in, 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 in uh, uh, comforting you, encouraging you. Urging you to live lives worthy of God. Urging you. Underline the word urging. And that, that is a directive term. In other words, it's, it is, I am challenged. He said, remember, I challenged you to live like Jesus. I encouraged you. I comforted you. But, 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 but I also challenged you to live like Jesus. That's why I say this small step is a, provide a small challenge to take one step forward. One step forward. Because that's what discipleship is. It's learning to live like Jesus one step at a time. I saw this modeled by by one of my former pastors. And I want to show you this because I thought it was absolutely brilliant. A a young man came to my pastor, Pastor Greg. And he said, uh, Greg, he said, man, I've been following Christ for a while. And and, um, and I'm just sort of, I don't know, man. I'm just, I just, I don't know what God's will is for my life. And I want to know God's will for my life. And Greg smiled real big. And he said, okay, you buy me lunch. I'll show you God's will for your life. And the guy said, okay, do it. So he, Greg takes him out to lunch. Greg takes a napkin. And he draws this little circle. He said, okay, you're a believer. And you want to live your life in Christ. You want to become like Jesus. And Jesus is sort of the center. That's our model. He's who we're trying to become like, right? He said, now here's God's will for your life. He wants you to worship him enthusiastically. He wants you to connect with other believers 
regularly. He wants you to share your faith consistently. He wants you to serve him enthusiastically, and he wants you to grow in your faith consistently. That's God's will for your life. That's God's will for all of our lives. He wants us to worship, connect with others, share our faith, serve him, and and grow in our faith. That's God's will for your life, just as simple as can be. And so Greg said, now, tell me if this is, you know, maturity and life in Christ, and this is, woo, just barely, where are you at on this? And the guy went, well, you know, I do love to worship God, so I'm probably right there. What about connect? He said, oh, man, I I'm not real connected, so put me there. He said, okay, how about sharing your faith? Well, I'm not real good. That sort of scares me, so I'm about right there. What about serving? Uh, I am on the uh, greeter team at church, so that, I'm doing a little something there. And uh, then what about grow? Uh, you know, I read my Bible once a week or so, so I put myself here. So Greg went, okay, let's look at this. Connect the dots. There you go. There's where you are in your walk with Christ. Now, you look at that, and Greg asked him this question. As we went through that, what, of course, this is an hour lunch, but he said, as you look at that, what area do you feel like God wants you to grow in next? He went, oh, I knew immediately, connect. And then Greg asked him this question. What's your next step? What's your next step? The guy went, well, you know what? (laughs) I'm connected to some guys that aren't real good for me, not a good influence on me. I attend a small group maybe every three months, and there's a guy there that I really, I mean, he's, he's a model of Christianity, and he's always encouraged me to hang out, and I never do. So I'm going to call him this week. I'm going to hang out with him, and I'm going to tell him where I'm at and that I need to be connected. Greg said, great, write that down. He wrote it on the napkin, and then Greg said, let's meet back here next week, same time, same place. Tell me how it went, and then we'll talk about your next step. Do you see the simplicity of discipleship? See, we think discipleship is I'm going to back up on you and I'm going to dump a dump truck of theological information. I'm going to give you a a theology book this thick and you have to have it memorized by the next month, okay? I mean, they did a bunch of information. And, and, and And sometimes we think, yeah, I come to church so you feed me, feed me, feed me so I can get fatter and fatter and fatter. And, and, and truly discipleship is, man, what's your next step? What's your next step in becoming more like Jesus? Encouraging someone to take that next step, urging them to do that, challenging them to do that. Guys, we, Cindy and I used to do this for our small group. You just draw it and give everybody a piece of paper and say, hey, small group, tonight we're just going to do this, and everybody, everybody's going to mark where you're at, and we're going to talk about what your next step is spiritually. Simple as that. You talk about a dynamic time around small group. Everybody's talking about their next step. It's that simple. Helping someone else learn to live like Jesus, one step at a time. Paul said, hey, discipleship, it's not being a scholar. It's not being a pastor. It's not, it's not being a theologian. It's like being a dad. It's like being a mom. It's like being a parent. I was so blessed. I was so blessed in the home I grew up in. My parents, I, I was saved when I was nine. My parents were leaders in the church. And they lived a godly lifestyle in front of me. I remember nine years old running down the hallway and looking down in the living room and seeing dad in that, in that comfortable chair with his Bible, notebook, writing notes, highlighting, underlining. I remember 
difficulties they had, not with each other, but with other people. And I would go, why don't you, why don't you do this to them? And they go, no, no, we're going to serve them. We're going to love them. I saw them growing in their faith, and it grew my faith. They encouraged me just like a, just like a father would. <laughs> my dad was constantly, Mac, you can be whatever, whatever you want to be. Mac, God's given you a, a, a calling on your life. He's given you certain strengths and gifts, and he wants to use those. And I remember at a point where I felt so called to ministry, I said, I've got to go to Bible college. And, 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 I, and I said, they said, where do you want to go? And I, I named a Bible college, and they said, why do you want to go to that Bible college? I said, because it's close and it's cheap. And he went, no, 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 no. You're not going to do that. You're going to go to the best. Because God's got a calling on your life. And so he encouraged me. I want you to go to the best Bible college. And they they sent me to a different one. (laughs) And then urged me and challenged me. They urged me and challenged me. I remember dad would come into my bedroom. And I would be sitting there on the bed late at night. And he'd come in and say, hey, Mac, I got this in the mail. And it was a little sermon pamphlet. It was this one pastor who would preach, a, you know, little short sermons, and they were typed up, little pamphlet, and they were usually around one verse, and it was always real relevant, practical stuff, you know, especially for me as a teenager, you know, uh, how to beat depression and how to achieve your dreams and things like that. And so I would, he would say, hey, why don't you read this? And he'd give it to me, and I would read through it. And he would challenge me to read it, and I would, and it just started to grow me and grow me and grow me. You see, Dad wasn't, even though he's man, man of God, and he knows God's word, It wasn't that. It wasn't the fact that dad knew God's word that grew me. It was the fact that dad knew God that grew me. He didn't flaunt his knowledge around. He didn't flaunt a self-righteousness around. He was just like a dad who came alongside and helped me learn to live like Jesus one step at a time. Let's pray. If you would bow your heads as we do. If you have a pen, paper, you can do this. If not, just do it in your mind. But let me ask you a question. What's your next step? What's your next step to learn to live like Jesus? I don't care how long you've been a Christian or how short you've been a Christian. There's a next step. What is it? For some of you, that next step is, hey, I... I've stopped growing, and so I'm going to put together a seven-day growth plan, and I'm going to stick to it this week. For some of you, it's a phone call or text that you need to make and say, hey, I've been beating you down rather than building you up. God put you in my life for purpose, and I want my life to be used to help you live like, more like Jesus, and I want God to use you to help me live more like Jesus. And Boy, I sure hadn't been treating you that way. I'm sorry, and I do want to give you a word of encouragement. And for some of you, it's God's been, God's surrounded you by some people with some incredible potential, maybe in your own family. And you're set back and you watch it, and you go, well, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything. But sometimes it's that word of positive challenge that's going to stretch them. God wants to use you to stretch them to take a next step to see themselves through God's eyes, to see themselves bigger than they're currently seeing themselves. And that urging, that challenging from you, that one word could literally change the trajectory of their life. Don't hold on to it. 
Give them that simple challenge. And for some of you, you're sitting in this room and you're going, none of this means a thing to me. I'm not even hearing half of it because, Mac, I've been smacked in the face. I've made some decisions and just slammed me in the face and I'm hurting. I can barely walk. I can barely see and things are broken in my life and, and, and I don't know what to do. And, and to be honest with you, for some of you, your next step is you can't live like Jesus until you know Jesus. And so for some, if you've never given your life to him, it's as simple as saying right now in the silence of your own heart, God, I, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner and, and, and I, know my, I know I've messed up. But from what I understand, the best to understand, God, you, you forgive. No matter what I've done, you from what I hear, you, you forgive. And from what I understand from my friend and from what Christian says from the stage, if I just utter a confession and say I'm sorry, you will take all my sins in the past and you just throw them away and you wipe them away and you forgive me and you help me start new. And God, I need that because I'm in so much pain. I need to learn to live like you. I'm tired of making decisions that slam back in my face. And God, I need to learn to live like you as we conclude and go into this closing time. Make a determination in your heart right now what your next step is. And for many of you, it's a decision to say, I am going to start being a disciple maker. Because the seats that you're sitting in right now, I promise you, are going to be more and more populated by people who don't have a clue how to live like Jesus. And they need you to come alongside and help them to take their next step, whatever it might be. Christian?